today on Divine Truth Podcast. The mind of Christ is, you're first. I put the will of the Father first. I put the needs of others first. That's the mind of Christ. And if you and I want to have a, be joyful Christians and have a joyful church as we learned in verses 1 through 4, we're going to put others first. We're going to put the will of God first. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter number 2, and we're going to be begin reading in one of my favorite Uh, New Testament passages on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5, where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men." And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. We ask You, Father, now, God, that You would teach us Your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul ended our previous section of Scripture this way in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 where he says, Let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And if you've been with us through the study of Philippians, you you recognize the fact that that was where Paul, we left Paul last time together. And what Paul here, folks, is trying to stress to us is that believers should not be so much concerned with their self then they are more concerned and should apply that more so to others. We must, as God's people, have the constant practice of looking out for others, being concerned about the welfare of others. Folks, listen, we have to, as God's people, we have to practice not living our lives with total disregard for other people. As believers, our primary focus needs to be on the glory of God. And as our primary focus is on the glory of God, we will automatically be serving the needs of others, especially the needs of others that are part of the family of God. Because everything in the Christian life is designed to produce Christ-likeness and Christ-like humility in us. That's the point of this passage. From verse 1 all the way to the end of verse 8 at least, the purpose is is to show through the example of Christ that one of the things that Christ 
tries to mold in us and perfect in us as his people is the attitude of humility. Because as the word of God sanctifies us, it prompts within our minds humility. And as we are humbled, humbled by the word of God, humbled by the spirit of God, we recognize the frailty of ourselves before God. We recognize our unworthiness in the front of God without Christ. And when we recognize that humility, that is the first step, church, of recognizing and putting others before ourselves. We should see others, church. We should see other people as an opportunity to glorify God. Because as we serve other people, we glorify God. And since we know of the compassion and the affection of Christ, the aim of our life is to calculate the interest and the needs of others far above ourselves as Jesus Christ did. That's the point of the passage. And the next section that, as I said, is one of my favorite sections on the person of Christ in the New Testament illustrates for us beautifully and perfectly That type of attitude. The attitude that says, I put you before me. Your desires, your interests are more important to me than my own. And that needs to be the God-given, Holy Spirit-filled attitude of every believer. How did Jesus Christ illustrate for us verses 1-4? through And we will see six main headings in this passage. We will begin today and we will continue it next Lord's Day. We will see six things. First, we will see his perception in verse 5. Second, we will see his pre-existence in the first part of verse 6. Third, we will see his perspective in the latter part of verse 6 to verse 7. Fourth, we will see his practice in verse 8. And fifth, we will see his praise in verses 9 and 10. And sixthly, we will see his proclamation in verse 11. And we will see, church, the selfless call by Christ on every believer. Because, church, listen, that is what the the church of Christ is supposed to have for others, isn't it? It's a selfless love. Listen, as the world sees a selfless love of a church... That will, that is one of the things God will use to draw unsaved people to Himself. I've said it to you a thousand times and I'll continue to say it to you. The lost people are never drawn to the church by unkindness. The world, the unsaved are drawn. One of the things that the Holy Spirit uses to draw His, His elect people to Himself is the kindness of the already established church. And we need to give to the world a selfless kind of love. And this is is illustrated for us perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. Number one, let's look at his perception. His perception. One of the best ways I find uh, to bring about a truth to the heart of people is by giving a living example of that truth, right? Give Give people a living example of truth and that truth tends to take tends to take root in their heart. Because the basic point of verses 1 through 4 is to teach believers that there is a particular attitude that true love for others displays. And that is the basic principle of a good teacher of the Word of God. Because doctrine 
is always followed by application. If doctrine isn't followed by application, then all you've done is lecture. Doctrine is always followed by application. And the doctrine is in verses 1 through 4 that God's people should always put others first. And that should be of utmost importance to us. But the application is what follows. Now notice again what Paul says in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of who? Others. Others. Let me ask you a question, church. What are your interests? What are your interests? Are you more concerned with the things of yourself? Are you more concerned with being inconvenienced? Or are you more concerned about the things of others? What is your instinctive reaction when you hear the word others? What is your instinctive reaction when you hear the word humility? Because looking back on the things of others, that requires, and putting it above yourself, that requires a tremendous amount of humility, doesn't it? And what we have in verses 1 to 4 is humility taught. And what we have in verses 5 through 8 is humility displayed. And where do we see the perfect example of humility? In Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The primary purpose, church, of this illustration is to motivate Christians to live like their Lord and Savior. That should be the driving force of our life is to live like Christ. And Paul presents the supreme, unparalleled example of holiness, to, of humility rather, to serve as the most powerful motive of believers in their humility. The incarnation of Jesus Christ calls believers to follow Jesus' incomparable example of humble self-denial, self-giving, self-sacrifice, and a selfless love. As Jesus lived out the incarnation, He lived it out in obedience to the Father's will. In the Gospel of John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus says, I can, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is passed because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Church, let me ask you this morning, is that your attitude? And if you say, yes, pastor, that's my attitude, well, is that your action? That in thought and in deed, you seek the will of the Father and not the will of yourself. That is what Jesus teaches us. Not only to put others first, but in part and parcel of putting others first, that also includes putting the will of the Father above our own will. Notice what Paul says there in verse 5 of Philippians 2. He uses the word mind. He says, let this mind stop right there. Phroneo in the Greek, and it's the same word used in verse 2 that we saw a couple weeks ago. And it's translated mind or is a translated intent. And it speaks about development of the attitude. Verse 5 before us is a transition from exhortation to illustration. 
And the phrase, let this mind, that Paul uses in verse 5, literally means you have this attitude. You have this same attitude. And that looks both back and it looks forward. It looks back to what's given in verses 2 through 4, and it looks forward to what's given in the example of Christ. And this is an imperative. It's a command, church. This is not an option. This is a command. Paul basically saying this, you have your thinking. Church, listen, we need to have our thinking dominated by the thinking of Christ. And since the goal of the joyful church is spiritual unity, part and parcel of having that unity in Emmanuel Baptist Church is thinking about others better than yourself. Let this mind be in you. You think this way. You think the same way that Jesus Christ thought. In fact, John says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to what? Walk in the same way that he walked. Church, listen. If we say that we belong to Jesus Christ, if we say that we're walking in the Spirit, then one of the evidences of, of actually walking in the Spirit is that we will put others before ourselves and we will think the thoughts like Christ said, like Christ thought. But notice verse 5 again. He says, let this mind be in you. And look at the word you. The word you there is plural. He's not pointing out an individual Christian here. He's speaking to the entire church. Listen, church, you let this type of thinking dominate your mind. Okay? You spend verses 1 through 4 talking about what love really is. If there is any com comfort, if there's any consolation, if there's any love. And then he ends with, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on things of others. Let me illustrate this. You let your mind be dominated this way. You know, for me, one of the most illustrative instances of humility in the life of Jesus Christ was when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, right? For me, that's one of the most greatest examples of this. Because the job of washing the feet of guests was the job of not just the slaves of the home, but washing people's feet. You know, they didn't wear Nikes back then. Everybody wore sandals and they had dusty roads. And so when you have a guest coming to your home, the very first thing that you had done to you was your feet were washed. And that was, job was not reserved just for the slave of the house. That job was reserved for the lowest of slaves. If you were given the job of washing somebody's feet, you were the low of the low of the low slave in that home. But notice what Jesus did in gentle humility. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, And he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And you know what the interesting part about this whole scenario is? Here you've got God incarnate. Here you've got the Lord of glory. Here you've got the creator of the universe where Paul says in Colossians 1 that everything was made by him and for him and without him was not anything made that was made. Here you have him in human flesh sitting with his disciples having dinner and he rises up from dinner, takes a towel and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And the wonderful thing about that instance is not only his humility but surrounding that event. What are the disciples doing? The disciples 
disciples are having usual conversation over dinner of which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, if I'm sitting around with my buddies having a conversation about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, I'm not fitting to get up and wash anybody's feet. And so right in the middle of them washing, of them talking about being the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus Christ rises and, begin to wash his, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. In verse 12 it says, And after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you not what I have done? Can you see the bewildered look? I mean, talking about deer and hair headlights. I mean, here is God, here is our Messiah, and he's washing our feet. In fact, what did Peter say? Hey, you ain't washing my feet. No, 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 no. Jesus said, verse 13, You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what? An example that you should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And among all this pride, among all this arrogance, among all this hope for prestige, Jesus gets up. And washes the disciples' feet. And among, listen church, and among the feet that he washed were the feet of who? Judas Iscariot. Listen to me church very clearly. When you and I, when you and I can wash the feet of our Judas, then we can truly say that we have the perception and the attitude of Christ. I want to say that again. When you and I can wash the feet of our Judas, then we can say that we truly have the attitude and the perception of Christ. And the humility that Paul calls on here for the church to have was certainly, folks, the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to have the proper attitude toward others, we need to look no further than the attitude of Christ. You you and I may feel that we can control our mood. Some people feel that we can control our attitude. Let Let me let you in on a little tidbit that you may not be aware of. You are fallen. Okay? Even those of us who are in Christ, our nature is still fallen. And so therefore, we can't control anything. We have to rely on the power of the Spirit and the example of Christ. But Paul does not accept the fact the Spirit-filled Christians cannot have the attitude of Christ. Christ had this kind of attitude. So should we. Even though there are attitudes of Christ and actions of Christ that we cannot copy. We cannot copy His redemptive acts, can we? We cannot copy it by suffering and dying vicariously. We are not able to satisfy divine justice. But one thing we can do, church, is we can copy His mind in this area. We can copy and are demanded and commanded to copy 
the self-renunciation with the view of helping others. And the perception that Christ had is the same perception we've had, we should have. One of lowliness, one of oneness, and helpfulness. And these are manifest by our Savior, church, and they should be manifest in us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, For here, even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us a what? An example that you should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was any deceit or guile found in His mouth. Now here's the kicker. Boy, the first thing we want to do is fallen creatures. What's the first thing we want to do? Somebody mouths off to us. Huh. I know Christians that take so much pride in this, they'll come up to their pastor. Let me tell you, pastor, what I said to them. Ain't nobody going to mess with me. What did Peter say about Christ? When he was reviled, he did what? He reviled not again. Well, all right, Pastor, well I, won't, well, I won't mouth off to him. I'll just pray judgment on them. Remember Peter? When, the, when Bethsaida kicked him out, what did Peter say? Hey, Lord, I got an idea. I'll call down fire from heaven on him. Jesus says, calm down, fellow. And Peter says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself. Here's the key, folks. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. Let me tell you something. God can take care of your enemy a whole lot better than you can take care of your enemy. And you can maintain your testimony. If you and I will just let God take care of our Judas, if you and I will just let God take care of our enemy, God will do it righteously. God will do it justly. God will do it perfectly. And we will still be able to proclaim the gospel because we haven't blown it because we went off. In Romans 15, the Bible says in verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even what? Christ, here's the example, church, for even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on who? Fell on me. What does that mean? Christ didn't deserve to have the reproaches that we committed against God fallen on him. But he took them anyway. In verse 5, now the God of peace and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of Father. And listen, folks, here is the attitude. We are to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Let this Attitude, let this mind, let this intent be yours, which was also Jesus Christ. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 33, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty ye might be rich. And that's not talking about material, that's talking about spiritual. Are you understanding the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is, you're first. I put the will of the Father first. I put the needs of others first. That's the mind of Christ. And if you and I want to have a, be joyful Christians and have a joyful church as we learned in verses 1 through 4, we're going to put others first. We're going to put the will of God first. How do we do? How do we do in have the, having the perception of Christ? How do we do in having this type of humility? Because certainly that type of humility is not the way of the world, is it? And this attitude and the actions displayed by Christ and that are demanded on us are antithetical to the, all the attitudes and the actions of the world. They're, they're, they're the complete opposite. In fact, the real reason why Christ Jesus came was strange that we found in, even that was strange even to the twelve. Remember when Jesus told him that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be handed over and die? What did Peter say? Not so, Lord. Uh-uh, not on my watch. They believed that he came as a conquering power. But why did he come? John chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That's why I came. The will of him that sent me. That's why I came. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat or my desire is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That was his perception. To do the will of the Father. To put others before Himself. And Paul says, you have that same perception. You have that same attitude. You have that same mind. But number two, we not only see His perception, but we see His preexistence. And the following verses that Paul gives us are what really brings to light for us the importance of His perception. Notice what he says in verse 6. Who being in the form of God. Stop right there. And that's a very important phrase. Who, speaking about Christ, being in the form of God. Now the word being means he existed. He pre-existed. Who pre-existing in the form of God. And what this word being stresses in the original language is the essence of his nature. Which is absolutely unalterable, inalienable, and unchangeable. Notice what John says in John chapter 1, classic verse on the deity of Jesus Christ. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now in those two verses, you have four verbs that are the same. And those verbs are the word was. They are an imperfect indicative indicating for us that this is an existence that was in past time. 
translated verses 1 and 2 by the original language, you would translate it this way. In the beginning, the Word always existed. And the Word always existed with God. And the Word always existed as God. Now here's the question. Who is the Word? Who is the Lagos? Verse 14, and the Word, the Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who was made flesh and dwelt among us? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the Word. Jesus Christ is the Logos. So what does John say about Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 2? In the beginning, Jesus Christ always existed. And in the beginning, Jesus Christ always existed with God. And in the beginning, Jesus Christ was always God. That's his preexistence. And so Paul says, he existed. His nature was that he was in the form of God. Notice what he says in verse 6 again. Who being in the form of God. Now I like that word form. That's the Greek word morphe. And it's a, it has a very, very rich meaning. It refers to the outer manifestation of an inward reality. And the idea, church, is this, is that before the incarnation, in all eternity past, Christ Jesus preexisted in the divine form of God. In other words, He wasn't the picture of God. He existed in His unchanging internal nature as God. Co-eternal and co-equal with the Father in every way. You know, there's another word that's translated form or fashion and it's found down, it's found down in verse 8 and it's a Greek word schema. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a what? Man. And there's a difference between morphe in verse 6 and schema in verse 8. Morphe is the essential internal nature that is unchangeable, that never alters. Schema is the outward form that changes from time to time or from circumstance to circumstance. For example, you and I have a morphe, don't we? Who here in this auditorium tonight are human? No one? Autumn's the only human in the room tonight, today. You know, some questions are not rhetorical. Everybody has a morphe, our unaltering, unchangeable, inward characteristic. Everybody in here is human. I can think of a few exceptions, but most everybody in this auditorium this morning are human. That is your morphe. That is something that will never change. No matter what happens to you, you will never cease to be human. But everybody in this room also has a schema. Because you've gone from a baby to a child to a toddler to an adult and to a senior. That would be the part of you that changes. That's your schema. And no matter how your schema or your outward form changes, your morphe or your inward reality never changes. You are always human. And as Paul illustrates for us the humanity of Christ that we are to have, he uses the illustration of Christ by saying, listen church, this is what Christ always was. He didn't become God. He was always God. 
He never existed as anything other than God. He pre-existed before anything was, there was Jesus. Before anything that was made that was made, there was Jesus as God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the prototos, the, the superior one of every creation. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was what? We looked at that word last Sunday morning, didn't we? What does that talk about? That talks about his, his self-existence. He is the self-existent one. He says, before Abraham existed, I was a self-existing God. In John chapter 17 and verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, which the glory I had with thee when? And that's talking about what, church? His pre-existence. Before anything was, Jesus says, you and I, Father, shared the glory of heaven. And in John chapter 17 and verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me, when? Before the foundation of the world. And I like what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 1. If you believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, it doesn't really matter. But Hebrews chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Who being the brightness of His glory... The express image, the icon is the Greek word, the exact representation, the exact picture of his person. Jesus is the exact picture, the exact person of the Father. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he, he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And the point, folks, is that in light of the profound reality of Jesus Christ's full and uncompromised deity, His incarnation was the most profound possible humiliation. And what does Paul say? You let that mind be in you. When you think about who's greater, you or someone else, when you think about who's more important, you or someone else, you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Before you begin to exert your rights over someone else, what does Paul say? You think the way Jesus thought. And how did Jesus think? He preexisted as God. He was the God of the universe. And what's Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20? And for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And although, folks, these truths are incomparable for us to understand, they must be believed. And folks, listen, part and parcel of the humili humiliation of Jesus Christ is His incarnation. And Paul states, you want to be humble like Christ? This is the humility, church, that God calls on us to have. You want to be humble like Christ? then you have the same perception. You have the same attitude that he had. So we see his preexistence. We see his perception. Now number three, his perspective. His perception, his preexistence, his perspective. 
from His exalted position as God, Christ Jesus took the downward step in the Incarnation. Why did He take that downward step? For our redemption, right? For our redemption. And Paul teaches that that is the attitude that we are to have for others. To view them more importantly than we view ourselves. Because listen church, Christ is the ultimate example of that. He gave up His position for us. And we experience redemption because of His willingness to become us. That's why John says in John 1.12, For as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Listen, the power to be saved is not in you. The power to be saved is not in me. There is one place where the power to be saved resides. And the power resides in God and God alone. And God in His goodness gives us the conviction. Gives us uh, His Spirit that, that draws us to Himself. And all of that is possible, folks. Why? Because Jesus thought more of others than He did Himself. And even though He existed as God, He thought about others first. You want, to, you want the best example on how to treat other people? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. Look at the incarnation of Christ. That'll tell you how you ought to treat others. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Get this, verse 4. According as He is what? What, is, what, what did you do to be saved? <laughs> Nothing. What's, what's the Bible say there in verse 4? That choosing was only possible because of how? The humiliation of Christ. Listen, if Jesus Christ would have had the same intent, if Jesus Christ would have had the same attitude that most Christians have today, none of us would be redeemed. Right? Because most Christians think of themselves more than they think of others. But praise God, He didn't have the attitude that most Christians have. And the only reason we are chosen in Him, the only reason we have redemption, is because of the attitude, the intent, and the purpose of Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him, when? Before the foundation of the world. In order that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In love He predestinated us unto the adoption of children. By how? Jesus Christ. Boy, redemption would have been a whole lot different if Jesus would have had the same attitude that some of us have sometimes, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know, Lord. This is awful inconvenient, Father, for me to, to leave the glories of heaven and go down and, and, and take upon the uh, flesh that has limitations. I don't know about all that. I kind of like the power I have up here. Boy, redemption would have been... But don't you and I have that attitude a lot? I, I know we're too spiritual to admit it. So I, I, I get that. But I know I have that attitude a lot because that's my nature. And I know you're just like me. And I know the things that you struggle with, I struggle with, and the things I struggle with, you struggle with. So I know that, that, this is our, that that's our attitude so much of the time. But boy, if that would have been the attitude of Christ, boy, redemption would have been a whole lot different. 
having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of what? His will. His will. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Romans 8, verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, those are the ones he called. And those he called, those are the ones he justified. And those he justified, those are the ones he glorified. The golden chain of redemption. The predestined to get glorified. That's the chain. Romans chapter 8 verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Christ put us first, church. Christ puts you first. And Paul says that should be your attitude about each other. Is you put them first. Christ put you first because he knew we would bring about your redemption. And you and I had the same mentality that Christ did. Not only did Christ always exist as God which was the first step in really of our understanding of the humiliation of Christ. But notice what happens in verse 6. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's how that phrase is translated in the original language. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God of very gods. He was the Creator But because He loved His creation, and because He loved and wanted to see people redeemed, He gave up His glory. He gave up the free use of His glory. And He did not consider being equal with God something to cling to. He was willing, church, to forfeit all of His rights for you and I to have redemption. John chapter 5 and verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Him, because He not only had broken the Sabbath, but also but said also that He was His Father, making Himself equal with God. Okay, So there again we see the equality with Jesus with the Father. John chapter 10, verse 38, But, I do, but if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in Him. John chapter 17, verse 21, Then they, that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me have I given them, that they may be one even as we are one. In John 17, verse 2, And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Folks, listen. Jesus Christ never used his power or authority while he was on earth for personal gain or advantage. But what did he do? Jesus Christ suffered the worst possible humiliation. And he did not demand honor. He did not demand privilege. He did not demand the glory that was rightly his. 
But Paul says he considered equality with God something that did not need to be seized. Why? Because it brought about our redemption, church. You are saved this morning. If you're born again, you've been born again this morning by the grace of Almighty God because He didn't think like most of you think. Because if He would have thought like most of us think, we'd all be on our way to hell. And Paul says, you let this mind, you let this thinking, you let this intent be yours. Which was also in Christ Jesus. But look what he said in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation. Simply means what? It's where we get our, it's a Greek word, kanao, uh, and it basically means to empty. Jesus emptied himself of all of the privileges and all of the rights of his divinity. What did Jesus Christ give up? Number one, Jesus Christ gave up divine glory. Jesus never ceased being God. But when Jesus Christ took upon Himself human flesh, He gave up divine glory. He gave up the independent divine use of His authority. He gave up the use of His divine attributes. He gave up His eternal riches. He gave up fellowship with the Father. Why? Because he thought more about you than you think about each other sometimes. Because God, Jesus Christ, willingly put himself behind us. And, and Paul says, listen, you have the same mind that Jesus had. And what was that mind? He always existed as God. And everything that came along with divinity was his. But he did not think that was something he needed to hold on to. But he emptied himself. Can you imagine the creator coming in the form of his creation? Somebody asked me one time, was Jesus Christ perfect from birth? You know, yeah, certainly he was because he was God. Well, I guess that means he didn't cry when he was born. Well, of course he cried. Right? Of course he cried. Hello. That's how a baby breathes, right? Of course he cried. He gave all that up. The creator enters the shell of the creation. He says, these are reprobate sinners. They hate me. Think about that, church. The Bible is very clear that outside of Jesus Christ, we are haters of God, right? We don't just have disdain. We just don't have dislike. We just don't have indifference. The Bible says we hate God. We are enemies of God from birth. That's who we are. And Jesus Christ looked over his creation. All this was done before the foundation of the world. Jesus didn't say, whoops, well, Adam blew it. Let me come up with a plan B. No, all this was done from before the foundation of the world. 
Jesus Christ looked over his creation. The Father looked over the Godhead, looked over the creation of people that hated him, a sea of uh, uh, countless people that hated him. Jesus said, I'm going to leave the glories of heaven. I'm going to leave the riches of glory. I'm going to suspend the divine usage of some of my attributes to go into the shell of a human, to be born and to die and to rise so that those people can come to the Father. Sometimes we can't even be inconvenienced to give a guy a couple of bucks or give a guy a glass of water or give a guy a ride. Well, you know, Pastor, that's really going to put me out. Put you out? Paul says, listen, you want to have the mind of verses 1 through 4 that you look not on your own things, but also on the things of others primarily? Then you follow the example of Christ. What did Christ do? You do the same thing. You do the same thing. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.